Hello and welcome back for episode 10 of Unsolved Cases and Suspicious Faces. That's Jackie. And that's Izzy. And it's been a while, but we're back. Uh, School started for me, so time has been a little, a little tight. Short? (laughs) Short, yeah. (laughs) How about you? How have things been? Good. They've been good. Uh, Not really much as been going on with me I'm not super exciting so (laughs) I disagree I think you are super exciting oh thanks (laughs) we uh this weekend uh Saturday we actually surprised my mother-in-law with kittens oh she just (gasps) lost her cat at the end of July that she had for 20 years and she'd been trying to find like a dog or a cat or something like that for a while and it just hasn't been working out so I found a set of siblings on Craigslist and we uh we managed to keep it a surprise the whole time somehow thanks to Ryan and his dad but she uh her heart melted and it was good oh that is so cute it's a good thing they came the weekend we got them though because after an hour I was getting attached and Ryan's like don't get attached I was like, I know, they're just so cute. But, yeah, so I've been having a good time. School started. Um, I'm going through that thing I think all college students do when they get to the point I'm at where I'm just really wondering if the major I'm in is worth it and if it's what I want to do and all that stuff. Well, you've already gone through that several times already, right? Yeah, but that doesn't mean it's not going to happen again multiple times. You know, because I like to uh, change your mind, change my mind. (laughs) How how have you and Josh been? Good. We went to Savannah this last weekend. That sounds fun. Unfortunately, everybody else in the entire state of Georgia and also probably surrounding states decided that was also a good idea. So (laughs) didn't get to go fishing like I wanted to. Oh, I wanted to go saltwater fishing on the ocean but we can't do that in augusta (laughs) yeah there's no ocean here so we went down but i guess because it was such a big weekend everybody else did so it was just too busy at the beach so we mostly just walked around yeah saw the stores and stuff so we had a really good time still i'm glad we went just wish we could have got to the ocean next time though (laughs) we'll take a rainy day Next time. Next time it'll (laughs) be good. No yawning on my podcast. Yes, yawning on my podcast. So I guess this means we're breaking up. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So do you have a story to tell us? I do. Um, Is is, is there a happy ending? Actually, not really happy ending, but not a negative ending so that's kind of new that is kind of for us because we normally talk about depressing unsolved murders (laughs) yeah that's kind of our whole thing (laughs) yep where it's what we're good at so we got to stick to it right right so i'm i'm settled in i got my energy drink so i can stay away oh popcorn so something i didn't mention before we get into the murder, I'm sorry. I, uh, I'm teasing everybody, I guess. No, I'm I'm already switched into murder mode. I don't care about what you're going to say. Okay, but listen. 
I uh, so you know how it work. I work two nights a week as the overnights person. Mm-hmm. I got called in to work like five p.m. to nine p.m. yesterday, and I was like, "Sure, I I mean, I guess, yeah, that's fine." So I got there, and that was literally the only way that my manager could go to her anniversary dinner is if somebody came in and I was her last hope. Oh, and I was like, "Don't you worry, I got this." Oh. Okay, I'm sorry. Anyway, murder. <laughs> well, I think it's really nice that she got to go out for her anniversary still. Me too. Okay, so this one is not a murder, nor is it about murders. So something we, I don't, have we done that one before? Have we done something like this? No, because we're That's talking about murder? unsolved murder cases, Jackie. Unsolved cases. Okay, all right. Well, I'm excited. Let's go. <laughs> oh, you don't sound excited. But this one's actually really interesting. And it has something to do with kind of a current event. So if everybody will think back to what has it been now, three weeks ago, where there was that massive explosion in Beirut in Lebanon. Okay. Uh, I think about three weeks. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you remember what caused it? No. Okay, so they were storing ammonium nitrate. Oh, yeah, 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 I remember. It's been longer than three weeks, I think, actually. Well, we haven't talked in a while. (laughs) That's fair. But I got curious, and it led me eventually to this case, one I haven't heard of before, but Dad has even though we said we weren't going to talk about him anymore. <laughs> Jackie. He remembers. That guy. That's all I'm right? going to say. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Love you. Okay, keep going. All right. So I'm going to tell you about the West Fertilizer Company explosion. It was April 17th in 2013. In a small farming community, kind of rural Um, area in texas and the name of the town is west so west texas right right there next to waco which i think more people will recognize kind of a bigger town okay so there's a fire at the facility Uh uh about 20 minutes later emergency personnel are there so we have our firefighters our ems there to kind of deal with any injuries from the fire But as firefighters are trying to control the fire and they have their hoses out and everything, it explodes with the force of seven and a half to ten tons of TNT. I'm sorry? It exploded with the force of seven and a half to ten tons Tons? of TNT. Tons? Oh, boy. Okay. All right. Shady. All right. I'm ready. The explosion creates a 93-foot-wide crater where the fertilizer plant had been because it's not there anymore. Of course. That just wiped it off the face of the earth, sent it into orbit. Yep. Damaged buildings also includes the West Middle School, which was right next to the facility. Oh, no, 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 no. And a neighboring 50-unit two-story apartment building was completely destroyed. Oh, no. Okay. West 
Okay, I can't say this. West Rest Haven Nursing Home <laughs> was destroyed. Or it was damaged. It wasn't destroyed. Ugh, Most okay. of the residents got out. A few of them got, like, cut by glass. But no. nobody died at the nursing home. Not grandma. No. On the evening of April 16th, the night of the explosion, six or seven volunteer firefighters were unaccounted for. And the emergency director, Dr. George Smith, said he believed at least two emergency responders were killed, but they were missing. Due to the force of the explosion, they weren't there anymore. Um, Over 100 injuries at the time of the explosion, and more were coming in. There were so many people injured, they had to set up those triage, I think I'm saying that right, tents. Yeah, that people set up in... um, Big emergency situations like hurricanes and stuff to deal oh, with everybody. So like through the, the Red Cross and things like that? Stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And they gotcha. had to set up those tents because there were so many people injured so they could start um, caring for them. The medical center alone in Waco received over 40 people for treatment. And so that's like 20 miles away. On April 19th, they had 12 bodies that had been recovered 60 people were missing, and at least 200 had been injured. Among the 12 dead, there were 10 first responders and two civilians who had volunteered to help fight the fire. The final confirmed death toll was 15 fatalities and 160 to 200 people that were injured. Not to try to put a light spin on it, but that big of an explosion only having 15 fatalities is kind of a miracle. Yeah, and it's, it, it's due to the fact that it was such a rural community. If it had been in a bigger city like Beirut, it would have uh, been much worse, obviously, since that one was. People living in and around West said that the blast felt like an earthquake. And actually, some people, the geological survey, the United States Geological Survey, said the explosion had the same effect as a 2.1 magnitude tremor. And windows had been blown out seven miles away from west. So that's just how big it was. So why is this an unsolved case? Well, let me tell you. After the blast, obviously, the ATF went in to investigate. So they were asking all different people kind of what happened. So they went to... OSHA. The last time OSHA had inspected the plant was in 1985. This was 2013 and the last 2013. time? 2013. Yep. The last so, time they inspected it was 1985? Yes. 1985. Alright. Okay. Interesting. At the, at the time of the inspection, they said they cited the plant for improper storage of the ammonia and had fined it $30. OSHA said the plant was not on their national emphasis plan, which I guess is something that they have because it's not a manufacturer. They were just storing the chemicals there. So that's that's why they said they hadn't inspected it in so long. But they're still storing dangerous chemicals. Yep. Okay. All right. I'll let you finish. Okay. In 2006, Somebody actually complained about an ammonia smell coming from the facility. 
So a group in Texas investigated and said they cited it for not having a permit for storage tanks for ammonia. And that was it. So they weren't even storing the chemicals correctly. For not having, yeah, for not having a permit for the storage tanks. And then they got a permit and that kind of just went away. Gotcha. In 2006, the EPA fined the owners $2,300 for problems like not filing a risk management program plan on time, which is to help in cases of emergencies. So you use like a risk management program to figure out like which levels of risk are acceptable and how to mitigate risks. So if they don't have that. Okay, so not only are they not storing chemicals correctly, not only has OSHA not expected this fucking building, but now that they don't even have a safety plan, are you kidding me? Yeah. Oh, my god. I mean, they probably had a different one, but it's that particular one that gave them fines for not having it. Yeah. And then the last fine that I'm going to talk about is one in 2012, so a year before the explosion. The Department of Transportation fined the facility $5,000 for issues with their ammonia storage. The plant had a bunch of thefts. So people were coming in and storing and stealing stuff. Why would people want to steal ammonia? I didn't know this. I don't know if you know this. Pipe bombs? No. You You use this type of ammonia to make meth. Apparently. Oh, of course you do. Why wouldn't they have cameras yeah. if that's the case? <laughs> I had no idea. So, yes, people were stealing it to... Um, hey, everyone, don't do meth. There's ammonia in there. Don't make meth. Actually, don't like... Are you saying people can do meth as long as they don't make it? No. Oh, so you just, <laughs> you're just adding on. Okay. I yeah. Clear. I was like, Jackie, also- what the fuck? <laughs> Yeah, um, I guess don't a bunch of like, you know, places where people make meth, aren't those known to like explode a bunch of the time? I wonder yeah, if that's yeah. due to this ammonia stuff. Probably. I mean, I'd imagine. I don't know. It's all chemicals. Chemicals are weird. Don't use any chemicals, not even safe ones for cleaning. Get them out of there. Throw yeah, away. throw your toothpaste away. Yeah, don't throw your even... toothpaste away. Just use water. Use water for that's everything. True. You don't use soap. A little bit. Don't use soap. Um, don't drink soda or energy drinks or juice. There's some pasteurization chemicals in there. Don't drink milk. Uh, cheese is out. Eggs cheese are out. Is out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you don't, don't. You know what? Don't even go anywhere that uses chemicals. So just like dig a hole in the ground, lay down. You're okay. It'll be okay. According to its last filing with the EPA in 2012, also the year before, said it stored 500,000 pounds of ammonium nitrate and 100,000 pounds of the ammonia on the site. A week after the explosion, Homeland Security said that the company did not appear to have disclosed its ammonium nitrate stock. And... They're required to be notified whenever anyone has more than a ton of the ammonium nitrate on hand, especially if it's combined with something that can make it explode. Mm. So the ATF does an investigation. I told you guys that before. So this, these are kind of people they were talking to and 
some of the background they were doing for this investigation. Actually, also fun fact, the Texas Rangers helped investigate, which is interesting because the Texas Rangers are cool. <laughs> okay. Investigators blamed the stocks of ammonium nitrate fertilizer stored inside a bin inside a seed and fertilizer building on the property for the explosion, but they could not identify what started the actual fire. So in 2014, a year after, the U.S. Chemical Safety and Hazard Investigation Board released the preliminary results of its investigation. It said the company failed to safely store chemicals in its stockpile and it violated regulations about the handling of hazardous materials and that they were also inadequate with how they try to handle them. Mm -hmm. The board's chair said the fire and explosion were preventable and never should have occurred. It resulted from the failure of a company to take necessary steps to avert a preventable fire and explosion, and from the inability of federal, state, and local regulatory agencies to identify a serious hazard and correct it, quote, end quote. I should have said quote before. That's, That's right. not interesting. What is interesting is the ATF announced in 2016, three years after the fire, or three years after the explosion, that the fire that led to the explosion was intentionally set. Okay, so I'm just making sure we got our facts straight here. Not only had OSHA not visited this place, not only had they been fined for improperly storing chemicals, not only had they no security system so people were waltzing in and stealing chemicals, not only were there was there no safety plan at all, and well, not at all, but there was no safety important safety plan and they got fined for it, but now they're saying someone intentionally walked in there and set a fire that exploded, that made yep. everything... Sw- oh my gosh, okay. All right, well... I smell something fishy. Yeah, but this, the ATF is, a lot of people don't like that the ATF says this for different reasons, but let's keep going into kind of what the ATF says and kind of the reasons why people aren't happy with the ATF about this. They never talk about any possible suspects. They didn't really talk about anyone that might have had a reason to start the fire and definitely nobody in particular. They never interviewed anybody for a suspect. The only thing they did was offer a reward for $50,000 for information leading to an arrest. So it doesn't sound like they want to catch the person that did this. Yeah, other exactly. Other experts in the field said that the ATF's finding that the fire was intentionally set was because they couldn't find any other cause for the initial fire. So they said somebody started it on purpose because they had ruled everything out i guess i mean when there's no other possible explanation and that's it well actually i told you there was kind of a positive thing i don't know that's not the happy ending that most people want but um the texas legislature passed a bill on a regulated regulating storage and inspection of ammonium nitrate so they made um kind of so hopefully this never happens again but hopefully because if it happens somewhere else that is more populated it would be absolutely devastating exactly but i don't know after all of this what you think but i think it's entirely plausible that somebody who 
wanted to make meth, walked into that facility and was like, you know what will make it really easy for me to get a bunch of this stuff? Start a fire somewhere else while I go take this stuff, right? Right. I Or it could be somebody was, like they were onto somebody that was stealing or something like that. Yeah. Or it could be, I, mean, I don't know. Really? Who knows? Yeah. But the ATF is anytime there's a big explosion, anytime somebody, they're a very large organization in the United States that Mm. really knows what they're doing. Yeah. So for them to say that they can't find a different cause for the fire and saying that it had been intentionally set really adds a lot of weight to it. Don't know why they never talk to people about suspects or try to get to the bottom of it but even with like pipe bombs and stuff they're the people who are called to go pick up every little bit of bomb that they can find and rebuild it to get to the bottom of who said it Mm -hmm. that's who you call so this is a weird one for sure it definitely makes you think Mm -hmm. i am i'm glad you uh you you told this story though this is a good one i found it really interesting especially after what happened in Beirut, because do you know what they found about the stuff in Beirut? No. It was improperly stored, which should ring a few bells based on this story, in that it spontaneously combusted. Wow. So I don't know if the ATF looked into spontaneous combustion, and I don't know if that would look like maybe an intentionally set fire. I'm not a fire expert, but who knows? It's an unsolved case. I don't know. <laughs> Do you know? Uh, I don't know, but it is interesting for sure. Maybe the ATF will go and reinvestigate now that we know some more things from Beirut. Maybe, but I'm not holding my breath. No, I don't know. Hi everyone, it's Izzy here, and if you didn't know, I'm the one of us that's responsible for editing and uploading our podcast, and I just wanted to let you know about Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast, and just to clarify, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. I like to use it because for me, it just makes everything so simple and easy. And it is the best program that I have found to help upload and find sponsorships. And it automatically distributes it for me. There is literally nothing that I have to do in order to get my podcast onto all of the listening sites. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You can record it right from the app, right from your phone, anywhere. It's convenient, it's easy, and best of all, it's free. All right, well, that was a good story, Jackie. I am doing... A classic unsolved case. Classic. Uh, wait, the Black Dahlia. No. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure you've heard of this one. It's the story of the boy in the box. 
Oh god, okay. Yes. Okay. So let me paint you a word picture real quick. Are you ready? Are you listening? I'm ready. I'm on the edge of my seat. Let's Okay. Go back to the year nineteen fifty seven. Susquehanna okay. Road. Susquehanna. It's a long word. Uh, Susquehanna Road was a narrow country road in the Fox Chase section of the of Northeast Philadelphia. So it was a, a like a wooded area with a one and like a narrow road going through it. It was only about a half a mile in length. I believe it was a dirt road, so kind of isolated, classic country wooded area. Okay. The southern side was full of trees, but the trees did not cover more than a few yards out from the road. So it's not like a forest or anything. In this area, an unidentified Caucasian male child between the ages of four and six, whose nude body was wrapped in a flannel blanket, was found lying face up inside a large cardboard box. Just a few Yeah, just a few feet off the road. The body was dry and clean. His arms were carefully folded across his stomach. His fingers and toenails were recently trimmed and neat. He had blue eyes, pale skin, and appeared malnourished. His hair was medium to light brown or blonde in color. It had been cut recently in a hurried way because small clumps of hair clung to his entire body, suggesting that someone had groomed him while he was unclothed, either shortly before or after death. Um, they also believe that his hair was, like, matted. So this is clearly a child who was not cared for. And mm-hmm. then someone hurriedly tried to make it look like he was. Interesting. There were many bruises all over the child's body, particularly on his face and head. All of the bruises seemed to have been inflicted at the same time. There were also seven scars on his body, three of which could have been from surgical procedures. The palm of his right hand and the soles of both of his feet were rough skin and wrinkled in what police refer to as a washerwoman effect, indicating that oh. either just before or after death, uh, the right hand and feet had been submerged in water for a long period of time. Weird. Yep. This story, just to take a pot, take a little break here, this story breaks my heart every time I hear about it. And that's why I think it's really important to get the word out there. And I'll explain a little more at the end. Uh, The cool weather made it impossible to tell exactly when the boy had died. It may have been two or three days or as long as two or three weeks. The boy was found in a large cardboard box. The box was stamped fragile. It had originally contained a baby's bassinet made by the JCPenney company and sold between December 3rd, 1956, and December 16th, 1957. Um, specifically by the J.C. Penney store in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania. Unfortunately, during the 1950s, there were no records kept at the time of customers who purchased this item or any items, really, because there's no electronic paper trail or anything like that. Everybody paid with cash, that kind of thing. Uh, A man's cap that was made with royal blue corduroy with a leather strap was found 17 feet away from the box. A path led from the cap to the box. The label led the police to the maker of the hat, and she stated that the hat originally came without the leather strap, but a gentleman had asked her to sew one on. Sew one on. 
I'm going to sue the crap out of that hat. During autopsy, a dark residue was found coating his esophagus and could not be identified, but it could mean that he had vomited right before his death. Fingerprints and footprints were obtained to try and match them to the hospitals in the area, but after an exhaustive search of hospitals, no match was found. The body was exhumed for the purpose of obtaining tissue samples for DNA analysis in 1998. The investigators were able to obtain mitochondrial DNA from his teeth, um, the important thing about mitochondrial DNA is that it can be used to find his mom or specifically a match through maternal lineage because mitochondrial DNA is given to you from your mother. Don't you have to have something to compare it to, though? Right, but they have it now, so I will get into that a little bit later. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, really, that's all the information we have like there are several theories but a lot of them didn't pan out um so we just have the information of where the boy was found and what he looked like america's most wanted aired a segment about the boy in the box case on october 3rd 1998 and the broadcast generated over 150 new tips and i'm going to get into a couple of those tips but i did leave quite a few off that were determined not to be true some of these are not true either, but I wanted to include some of the more popular theories. So, okay. George Brumel told police that he believed the unknown boy might have been his eight-year-old brother. This belief got stronger after viewing the body at the morgue. Detectives eventually found the missing brother alive and well in California. So, it was not his brother. Stephen Craig Damon was the son of an airman stationed nearby. He was kidnapped outside a Long Island supermarket October 3rd, 1955. When oh he was no. two. Yes. Two years old? Yep. So they thought that this child uh, could have been that, that kid. But unfortunately, um, the boy in the box was not Stephen as his DNA did not match. Um, the next one is Kenneth E. and Irene Adel Dudley were suspects as they were arrested in 1961 for causing the death of their seven-year-old daughter through malnutrition, exposure, and neglect, which is... A possible theory of what eventually led to the death of the boy in the box. Okay. Um, the Dudleys admitted that they had let six of their ten children die to neglect and that they had disposed of the bodies in various places. Eventually, any connection to the boy in the box case was disproved. But if you cause the death of one of your children due to neglect, I personally think you should be put on a blacklist from having kids. But that's just my opinion. <laughs> The boy in the box would be about 69 to 70 years old today. No one ever came forward to identify him. No one ever reported him missing, which is just heartbreaking. Yeah, that's sad. So I know that this story has gone by fast just because there's really no information about what possibly could have happened, um, anything like that. But the good news is, is that the amateur genealogist Barbara Ray Venter, who helped crack the Golden State Killer case, um, stated in August of 2018 that she would be looking into the boy in the box case. So there mm -hmm. is hope for the future that we will find a match somewhere and be able to trace it back. That's so exciting. So this is one of those genealogy cases. Yeah. We're, where we're, we're just waiting for like, oh, what's the company? Uh, like Ancestry.com or 23andMe. Yeah. yeah. We hope. Um, I mean, we hope that there's a match out there somewhere and that we can trace it back. But it is just a hope. 
Um, he would be 69 to 70 years old today. So there is a chance that he has some living relatives and we can, um, find who he is. There's even a chance that his parents are still alive, depending, but I mean, a small chance, (laughs) a small chance. Yes. Even if they were 20, what? That's a hundred years old. So that's 90 years old, which is how old grandpa's turning next year. Never mind. (laughs) Gotcha. Um, well now I feel bad thanks (laughs) you're welcome so there is a society out there called the Vidoc Society it's V-I-D-O-Q so I'm probably not pronouncing that correctly and they have an entire website dedicated to the boy in the box and dedicated to trying to help find and solve his case I used their website to help me in my research but I would like to read off of their website a little banner they have it says urgent assistance needed if you are 55 or beyond and you knew or remember knowing of a young boy two years old or younger possibly named Jonathan in the very early 1950s living in or within a 40 mile radius of Philadelphia or if you are a physician perhaps now retired who may have treated such a boy for a condition that would have left resultant scars in the groin area and the ankles IV cut downs you are asked to email such information to our website address, America's Unknown Child at vidocq.org. You will be contacted via email and your information will be held in the strictest confidence. So they're possibly named Jonathan. Possibly so named Jonathan. An idea of an idea. Right? I, I mean, there are several theories. This website contains everything that the general public has. Um, access to I mean it has photographs it has um, it has a link to contact the police to email them um, the original poster pictures and maps of the area actual news articles from the time a summary like it's just got everything so if you are curious and want to learn more and want to know more of the um, theories that I maybe didn't go into I would highly suggest their website at americasunknownchild.net it is a great resource, and it, it really breaks it down and goes into depth. They are really dedicated to trying to find out who the boy in the box was and what happened to him. Interesting. I also used an article on A&E's website, which is aetv.net, and it was titled The Boy in the Box, When Will We Finally Get Answers About the Famous Unsolved Murder by a person named Hillary Scheinfield. And that was a really good resource as well. And that is what I have for you about the boy in the box. It is heartbreaking. I I mean, there's a lot of pictures, and you can clearly see in the pictures that this boy was not taken care of, that he had bruises all over his face, um, that somebody heard. You can even tell from the pictures that somebody hurriedly cut his hair to make it look like he was taken care of. Um, That's sad. Yeah, and what's even more heartbreaking is that nobody even reported a child that would fit his description missing. Nobody came forward to give him a name or identify him or anything like that. So it breaks my heart, but I really wanted to get this message out there, specifically that um, they need assistance. I mean, the, the boy in the box would be 70 years old this year, so... Somebody has to know something. 
there's somebody that knows something. There's somebody that saw something. They may not realize it's important, but somebody has to know something. So, yeah, that uh, that was kind of sad, but it's important to get the message out there. Yeah. I guess the takeaway from this week is uh, don't don't cook meth. It's dangerous, and uh, don't use chemicals. <laughs> Uh, do you have a takeaway? <laughs> I think you summed it up pretty, okay. pretty good. Okay, well. The takeaway is your thing. <laughs> I just listen and appreciate it from afar. Listen and appreciate <laughs> it, gotcha. Did you appreciate this one? Yes. Okay. Well. I like the idea of not cooking meth. Yeah, don't cook meth, everyone. <laughs> don't do meth either. Don't cook or do meth. And uh, goodbye. Goodbye.